This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast 45. Um, I'm guessing, I think it's 45. Uh, With me, Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hi, Corey. Good morning. Uh, Hiroyuki Hamada in New York. Hello, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Johan Edebo in Sweden. Um, Hey, everyone. Yeah, and and Omar Khan is going to try to join us um, in Sri Lanka, and and I think he probably will be able to, but we'll see. Um, so I I I want to start with what seems obviously the most overriding uh, issue, uh, most important issue of this very moment. Um, and and that is the, the 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 now the mandating of of you know the vaccination passports that that this is now required if you are to work and so forth and so on and and a lot has happened in the last forty eight hours actually um, about this and uh, so so I want to open it up on on that topic and we'll we'll go from there. Um, mm-hmm. Johan, you want to start? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I, I remember after Corey saw that these two two articles uh, in the major news media had almost the exact same title about requiring vaccinations, and we did this quick Google news search. I think it was clear that this uh, this narrative of uh, of normalizing enforced vaccinations. Uh, about private and public employers now actually obligating workers to get the shots and so on was being promulgated in in real time, basically, as we spoke. And I think uh, Google and Facebook was the top headline now requiring vaccinations for workers returning after vacation. And and there were countless other news news outlets reporting similar stories, which either argued for the legitimacy of such demands or just reporting how local businesses or public organizations are enforcing compliance and so on. I, I think New York Times reported that, that Biden now will require federal workers to vaccinate. And there was this that Netflix will require COVID vaccinations for actors on set uh, and so on. Uh, and uh, I just think it's kind of significant that they all use the very same concept of requiring vaccinations and everything just uh, was being pushed out in, in a very small, narrow time frame. Every, everything happened all at once. And requirement, I think it's a good place to start because that's a, that's a, it's a great PR term because it invokes this ethical responsibility and duty rather than the more one-sided demand, which has a way more despotic tone. So why are they pushing this so hard right now today? Well, this is... This is um... Yeah, this is the question is, is a timing why suddenly uh, the I mean, they've been they the governments of the West and a lot of world governments, uh, certainly a number of health organizations and, and, and hospitals and certain places in certain states and areas were heavily encouraging um, that people be vaccinated. There was certainly an increasing media blitz about, uh, uh, you, you know, that it was immoral and uh, irresponsible to not be vaccinated and so forth. But then suddenly, you know, the, the, the floodgates opened and 
you know, mandatory, you're right. The, the terminology changed from mandatory, which sounds kind of authoritarian, to required, which sounds inclusive and, and, um, and friendly. And, but, but I know in Hollywood, you know, uh, Screen Actors Guild, uh, you know, the Directors Guild, Writers Guild, all of them um, are demanding um, full vaccination to work. You don't work if you're not vaccinated. Um, and and we saw in France um, that that they were pushing the vaccination ID that you couldn't go into you know your local brasserie or restaurant and uh, and there was enormous protest I mean enormous huge protest about which the media was entirely silent Western media I mean it's astonishing we talked about this last time but it continues so so um, my question is. Um, yeah, why this issue becomes uh, of such overriding importance that the focus becomes, you know, sort mm -hmm. of zero, the, the system is zeroing in on this idea of uh, a vaccination passport, which becomes part of a digital ID. And I guess that's the, the point is that everybody will be trackable and um, it 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 makes more uniform and more effective this this total surveillance state and and control, but but it's but it occurs to me there's something else going on and and I don't quite know what it is and this becomes a discussion about then the fourth industrial revolution the great reset the whole Schwabian Davos, you know, World Economic Forum, uh, you know, and the, and, and the depopulation agenda. Is that true or not? I think it is, but, but to what degree and, and all the things that go along with this um, are, are complex to talk about, I think, because there is a tendency, Johan and I were talking before we started recording, um, about the the natural tendency, almost inevitable tendency, to be reductive in talking about these kinds of of global um, uh, strategies, uh, global um, conspiracies. I don't know. Uh, it's 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 very difficult to find the right um, the right language. And, and the right perspective and the right approach um, because, because, you know, we've all heard a lot of podcasts out there and, and some of them are just, you know, it's very hard to want to be on the same side with a lot of people who may be 70% correct about this stuff, but they veer into uh, areas that feel extraordinarily unreal. But, I want to get your guys' response to this. So, okay, do you want me to jump in here? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so in Canada, for instance, um, I received a, a marketing, um, whatever it's called, card in my mailbox, and, and it has vaccines, vaccinations. Um, it starts off with the vaccines are safe. I mean, the the word in different forms appears around twenty times on this little card. So. A huge push. This is in everyone's mailbox in Canada. And so um, what's not on this form is any link or um, anything to the Canadian website that tracks the adverse 
um, vaccine events. And so I went to, I found that, I found that place on the website, on the Canadian website and the government. And I went there and um, as of July 16th, there were um, over 1600 um, adverse reactions recorded. And that's a small number because as, as we know from doctors speaking out about this, it it's, um, takes a lot to fill in the forms and, and send the stuff in. So 1,675 is a, will be um, a small number. There's probably much more than that happening. So with, within that within that number, you've got the, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Ghislaine-Barr syndrome, you've got that. Um, right, right. 48, right? And you've got low blood plate, 68. You've got, um, you've got, what are some of the big ones here? Cardiac arrest, 20, cardiac failure, 13, heart attack, 52, Bell's poly, facial paralysis, 281, stroke, 102, spontaneous abortion, 8, um, acute kidney injury, 19, liver injury, 9, and you've got 152 deaths were reported after the administration of a vaccine. So if you compare that to the um, number of deaths with COVID, not, not necessarily from COVID in Canada, from inception to present, that's around 26, just over 26,000 people, um, 26,448 as a few days ago. Um, but if you look at that number, what people um, aren't taking into consideration, over 15,000 of those deaths occurred in long-term care facilities. Right. Okay, so this is really tiny amount. Canada's 38 million people, and you've got um, what is that around 11,000 deaths? Um, if you you know take out the long-term care facilities, which weren't actually necessarily from COVID, they were from neglect and from isolation and the lockdown policies. Now, if you go further into the adverse um, reaction, adverse event reports. They break it down by age now because the right now they start at age 12 in Canada for the vaccines. They have um, age 12 to 17. There's been 117 adverse reactions in children and youth. Okay. Now, if you look at the actual deaths in Canada of ages zero to 19, that's 14. So wow. you've got 117 damaged by vaccines. You had 14 children die with COVID. Again, not necessarily from COVID. So think about that. Now, if you go to the next age group, 18 to 29, you've got over 900 young adults who have suffered harm from the vaccines. They've had vaccine adverse events. Okay, so um, if you go back to the deaths, age 20 to 29, you've got 66 young adults. So now you've got, you know, a massive, I mean, think about that. And this is obviously just the beginning, right? We won't know the, what, you know, the vaccines really do for a long time, but we're actually already starting just to see that. So when you take on um, children that are imperv impervious to the, to the disease, and we know this because there's been papers published in, you know, back in 2020, about, you know, basically how miraculous it is that children are impervious to this and how we can learn from that. And it's about their lungs and all these different, um, you know, doctors speaking out how, you know, basically we're so lucky that does not affect the children. And here we are giving them vaccines and they're having adverse reactions. This is just the beginning because now the SOT group is not just children, but um, 
babies, right? And, right. And, and, right. and children under 12. So that's next. And now we're seeing that as, as you guys know, what we've been seeing this week, especially in the past few days, even in mainstream publications like Bloomberg, um, Washington, Washington Post, those types of things, um, people who have been vaccinated are getting the virus, right? Like it's a big thing. It's a big thing. So just everything that's been happening, um, I think it was first noticed a lot in Israel. Um, correct me right. if I'm wrong. Right. And now that's being discussed in mainstream and it's happening in the U.S. So maybe you guys want to, you know, someone can jump well, in. Yeah. Um, Hi, oh, John. Omar. Hello, Omar. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Hi, Johan. Hi. Omar Khan is joining us from. Sorry um, to be late. I'm sort no, of. No, no. I'm so glad you. So <clears throat> glad you made it. Um, I let me just respond very quickly to this. I mean, this is this is um, what the the numbers that Corey just cited are mirrored almost exactly. If you look at Australia, they're mirrored in a number of countries, and and we know that everybody counts differently. And and there's there's you know the the statistics have have become all but meaningless. But the overriding point of of the statistics just cited. Mm. Um, is that this is a very mild virus with a low mortality rate. This has been true from the beginning. It hasn't changed. Children are statistically immune to it. And so, and yet, and yet there is this enormous push mandate requirement um, that, that you be vaccinated, uh, that, that kids be vaccinated, wear masks, which is just pure you know theater there's there's no medical reason for this at all um and if you if you try to argue with people i mean this is the thing that's so so hard we not argue but try to have a discussion and you cite something like but do you know that that children are are all but immune to this they they're very 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 few cases and and even those um have have um other contributing factors kids don't get sick from this people will tell you but you know it's that anecdotal response again people no but i heard there were three girls in newfoundland that got you know but and 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 you go but 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 there are there are statistics that you know the cdc uh, cites them they they're everywhere and and this is overwhelming evidence that that children don't get sick it's people somehow shut down to that a lot of people and now this is the second topic and and i'll but but at some point i want to discuss the um the the numbers of of you know we do this every every time we have a podcast but the numbers of people who are skeptical as opposed to the numbers of people who aren't yeah johan I used to kind of summarize what we've just been discussing. I, I may, had a quick look at the the international news media the headlines. And if you, for instance, go to Israel, you have, uh, you have of course, you have the, the normal COVID stories, uh, but you have this, uh, uh, how the Delta variant isn't, uh, you, you're not protected against the Delta variant uh, with normal COVID vaccines, so you need booster shots and additional vaccination, so on. In, in China, you have uh, uh, 
uh, news about the first the first international forum on vaccine cooperation, which is going to be held held uh, next month in in China, I think. And even in in Russia, you have a headline on how supposedly tens of thousands uh, should, uh, have died in Bulgaria due to uh, the, the lack of vaccinations of the elderly. And uh, right. in Sweden, right. just uh, the major headline is stating that you, you cannot reach uh, um, herd immunity without uh, further vaccinations in Sweden. So, so it's right. like it's, it's everywhere and it's today. And it's gibberish. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so if, if I can, just because I, for, I guess while I'm here, I might as well. Um, Please, Omar. Yes. For a few minutes. Um, so I'm just going to slalom around for just a sec, if you allow me. Um, the first thing is that the, um, the headline ought to be, because it's not only from Israel, it's from the UK, you're seeing it in the US. Uh, the, the Delta variant has escaped, um, an antigenic escape, they call it, uh, from the virus, and there is no protection. Uh, there's 39% efficacy reported out of Israel, below 60% in the UK. The US has numbers, but mortality is about as low as it's been since March uh, 2020. And this was predicted by Professor Harvey Reich and Peter McCullough, who said the Delta would be highly infectious and extremely mildly lethal, and so would be a welcome addition to the trove because more people would get natural immunity mm. without being at risk. And UK doctors are telling me it's showing up mostly like a cold, a cough, headache, runny nose. And so many people don't even know they've had it. And that may be why it continues to spread because they just go, continue to go to parties and, and so on with, with nary uh, a concern. The second thing is about the herd immunity thing. The, the medical illiteracy is damning. Uh, India just reported that seroprevalence studies done by the health ministry in India of above six-year-olds shows a 68% presence of antibodies in the population above the age of six. It was about 25% in December, January. Their vaccination rate is 6%. Hmm. As Dr. Sunetra Gupta continues to explain and continues to get vilified for, the vaccines do not provide mucosal immunity uh, or sterilizing immunity and cannot be the basis for herd immunity. Hmm. It simply cannot be. It is a total mis... She says that as one of the world's top epidemiologists, she does not know what people are talking about. They must know that they're talking total medical gibberish. <laughs> that, of course, doesn't stop anybody because you show 25 letters after your name and you can talk absolute Tommy rot. Right. I mean... Um, and so, I mean, like the vaccine passports, and I'll stop there for a sec. Um, the vaccine passports are just illogical, leave aside unholy <laughs> um, on all kinds of fronts. And they're illogical because if the vaccines protect, why do you need a vaccine passport? You're protected. Right. Well, that's always been the, yeah. And if the vaccines don't work, why do you need a vaccine passport? Right. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, so right now, we the masks that didn't protect us, we had to run to get vaccinated. And now they're telling us that back in the U.S., because the vaccines don't work, put your mask back on. Well, but it, but this is this is we were talking the other night, um, Johan and Hiroyuki and, and Corey and I, the 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 idea that you are are being vaccinated, but then told this doesn't provide you with immunity. Really, you still have to wear a mask and be careful because you, is is yeah, is exactly gibberish. I mean. If, if the vaccine vaccines are meant to give you immunity. And the other thing is, if you have caught the disease, then you are immune henceforth. Yes. So people who but they're telling people who have caught the disease, um, this this mild virus, uh, if you've caught it and recovered, you should be vaccinated anyway, because um, having had the disease does not provide immunity. So again, it's this magical, it's suddenly this magical virus that defies all, all precedent, all logic, all reason, all medical history. Johan. I just say, you can always argue that the, the, the vaccine passports uh, will combat vaccine hesitancy and so on, even if they're efficacious. Right, but the, the, the issue only is that if they don't, if the vaccine doesn't work, then who cares whether I'm hesitant? And if the vaccines do work, then I, as the vaccinated, at least am immune. And if the other person wants to take their life into their own hands, we can continue to encourage them. But why do we put a gun to their head? In that case, we should just take all cigarettes away from people, all sugar. Yeah. Uh, make cars that don't drive beyond 45 miles per hour <laughs> and insist that we're going to be totally a prophylactic world. But they care right. about you this time. Yeah. <laughs> they really do. Yeah. With a jab in the hand. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it makes no sense, but then we know this gets into the, the second, I mean, we know that all of this stuff is, is illogical and that, and that there's no medical reason, things like six foot, social distancing not more than five i mean this is just arbitrary it's yeah. purely arbitrary and it differs from country to country state to state city to city um they kind of make the stuff up as they go along they the government now you know what is what is driving this engine we have seen a remarkable transformation of the planet over the last two years i mean remarkable how quickly all of this stuff has happened that suddenly um, lives have been disrupted, jobs have been lost, there's been a further massive migration of wealth to the top 1%, transference of what was left of property and, and, um, and wealth has now in the hands of a very few people. They control the media, uh, that's obvious, uh, the level of censorship keeps rising. All of this, though, has has it, you know, it was all in play. The precursors to it existed 30 years ago. And we've talked about that. Some of us have written about it, and so forth. But since the announcement of COVID, there has been a profound transformation um, of the planet. You know, you can't you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. And there's growing restrictions. A growing push for you know. The, the digitalization of the world. And um, okay, Corey, let me go to you. 
Um, I just think as well, um, this is just in the same way that masks um, get, ch especially children, right? I mean, children are, are the foundation of fourth industrial revolution going forward. They're the coders, they're the people, you know, the, they're the people that will take all the roles within the fourth industrial revolution, um, as Deloitte says, who will perish, who will thrive. Um, so there's a huge, um, you know, they're a real target here. And so I, I came across yesterday an article from 2016 from Klaus Schwab in collaboration with Project Syndicate. And I just wanted to tie this in like with how mass sort of prepared um, infants and children and even adults as well um, to a different degree. It normalizes having something on the face, the face covered and that type of thing. Because in um, white papers, they say that by around 20, 2030, people will, we won't have phones anymore. You'll be having um, wearing headsets and things on your head. So this sort of normalizes, I mean, I know it sounds a bit, a bit, you know, much, but it sort of normalizes things being worn on your face, not seeing eyes, not seeing mouths, um, this type of merger with um, embedding things on our body, right? Like wearable technologies and that type of thing. And it also, like it definitely is, um, this is a real moment for biotech going forward and gene editing. So even with nature, with people, they literally will edit us to serve, you know, basically to serve the ruling class. Um, this is a huge part of it, getting people normalizing types of injections that will merge the physical, digital and biological worlds, which basically is how they describe the fourth industrial revolution. And I just want to read a, like just a tiny, tiny bit out of this um, yeah, 2016 article. So um, new technologies and approaches are merging the physical, digital and biological worlds in ways that will fundamentally transform humankind. We must address biotechnology, which will enable significant life extension, designer babies and memory extraction. The scale of the challenge should not be underestimated. Um, the fourth industrial revolution could lead to forms of human augmentation that cause us to question the very nature of human existence and even sooner than one might imagine. As the novelty of wearable tech gives away to necessity and later as wearable tech becomes embedded tech, we will be deprived of the chance to pause, reflect and engage in meaningful subs substantive um, conversations. How will our inner lives and ties to those around us change? So they understand that, you know, that's a part of this whole social distancing is normalizing, um, um, you know, basically the breaking down of society. So um, I'm almost done here. Uh, so this is now Project Syndicate. If you go back to when this started, or sorry, this is going back to February 2009 and Project Syndicate is, is um, talking about a global Green New Deal. And then um, if you jump forward 10 years later, you've got right, right at the beginning of the pandemic last year, if people recall, all of a sudden you saw the talk about um, the green, you know, how to green the pandemic, global green new deal. And it's all back again, again with project syndicate. So now they're right today, jump forward a full decade 
And now that's on the agenda again, even for COP26, a global Green New Deal. And if you go back to September of 2019, you got the paper from the UN coming out again, like a huge document, a global Green New Deal. So now you've got, um, you know, NGOs and like um, sort of liberal left academics all very quietly pushing that agenda for COP26. So you've got the same people behind the global Green New Deal that are behind the fourth industrial revolution, right? Which is actually anti-human and anti-life. So I just wanted to sort of try to tie that in, um, mm-hmm. the, the vaccines to biotech, bioengineering, gene editing going forward, because I think it's a huge part of that. Yeah. Um, Johan? Yeah, yeah. just let me continue on this, uh, this topic a bit. Uh, because you said, Corey, earlier that it, it can't just be profits that are in focus here. And I agree. I think there's a, there's a more profound uh, revolution going on. And, and perhaps you, um, uh, Hiroyuki, can chime in on this uh, after, I, after I finish. Because uh, you've got to ask, why, 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 would have a, why would you have a revolution instigated by, by the ruling elite towards a, a profound transformation of society? And I think the only reasonable answer is because that the old order was unstable and would not hold together much longer. And, and the power structure simply does what it needs to do to protect itself. And, and we, we know that continued economic growth on the neoliberal model has been facing resource constraints for many years and increasingly disruptive systemic crises have been the result. I mean, you have a situation where a longer period without economic growth will actually collapse the fragile financial system. And, and since that's inevitable in the midterm, what are you gonna do? Well, you, you need to restructure society from the ground up to get around these issues while also preserving systemic coherence and the power and property relations you, you want to have in place. So you bring, out, you bring, bring about this controlled demolition of the economy and a deep restructuring of our social relations to, to rebuild society and adapt us to a new model of production and consumption. And I don't think this is first and foremost a conspiracy as much as it's a, a kind of structurally emergent phenomenon. Right, and I think that's... I think that's um important and and i think you know i was kind of asking these questions in a slightly rhetorical way because i i think that we need to to articulate it but clearly there there is an intentional um if we use the word demolition of um of of the economic system globally and uh the the next question becomes how how successful is that how is that project going at this point is it going to succeed on their terms um and and what might that mean if it does and what might it mean how would it look if it doesn't um hiroyuki yeah i think i think the uh 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 Corey's, uh explanation is really really um cogent uh it captures the uh, momentums um uh that have been brewing. And um, um, so, like Johan just said, it's it's a revolution that's being demanded uh, in order to bring that about. Uh, what we are experiencing is a regime change operation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, assault against the economic structure uh, fear, um, 
attack, uh, destabilization of communities um, that would force privatization, financialization, and domination by the uh, uh, new order. So um, it seemed to make sense. Um, what we're experiencing is um, um, it's a war being waged uh, against us uh, in order to create this new structure um, that perpetuate the uh, um, establishment um, structure of uh, feudalism, basically. And uh, in the United States, um, I think the same old um, device of uh, corporate duopoly is really being activated. I think the narrative is uh, being discussed to divide um, between those line, the same line, the red states, uh, blue states. And uh, this is, um, this is a tremendous force uh, behind it. Uh, I mean, the, the Confederate flag, it's still um, legitimate uh, thing. People still uh, believe in um, uh, ideologies and uh, uh, economic imperatives and all those things that are involved. Uh, and um, so, there's a tremendous amount of emotion and um, uh, struggle and historical uh, animosity that can be activated by this uh, situation. And you look at corporate media narratives and uh, it, it's really uh, hard in people to be stuck in this framework. And it works tremendously well. I think the uh, how Trump got uh, what he got and the phenomenon after that, all the justifications uh, against uh, corporate policies uh, because it's against Trump. Um, it's, it's all within uh, this program. And um, yeah, <clears throat> I was thinking about Trump today, but I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, because I, somebody posted a link with Steve Bannon interviewing some doctor. Um, and I thought, because the doctor was terrific and he was very smart. And I thought, how do you present this to somebody if, if the, um, the uh, interview is being conducted by Steve Bannon? I mean, it's, it's the whole spectacle is, um, is designed to discredit uh, dissent, resistance. Um, Corey, you have your hand up? Yeah, just sort of adding on, um, and that was terrific commentary by Omar and Hiroyuki. I just wanted to thank them both for that. But adding on to what um, Johan was speaking of, of the capitalist system, um, basically, um, you know, in danger of collapse, if you go back to that you, to that trade and development re report that I was speaking of that came out in September 2019, financing a global Green New Deal, um, within that report, they cautioned that... Um, Quote, a global recession in 2020 was now a clear and present danger, 
right? So again, like trying to um, reorganize this whole um, global capitalist system that serves um, the few at the expense of the most. And um, yeah, just that's that's a huge, a huge part of it. And I think that can't be lost. So there, I mean, this whole thing is really multifaceted. You have the restructuring of the um, global capitalist economy. You have, you know, basically insulating the ruling class and the existing power structures. You have the pathway to um, gene editing, biotech, bioengineering. Um, you have the pathway to emerging markets, right? And then um, what else do we have? It's just, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, and then you have trillions of dollars that have been invested now into the vaccine market, into this whole um, biotech um, industry, right? That falls under the SDGs, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. The UN has partnered with the World Economic Forum and they're at the helm of implementing these um, sustainable development goals, which sound really great on um, the branding and that, you know, oh, we're going to eradicate poverty and all this stuff but that's just like lots of, uh, that's just marketing. They're about emerging markets. So again, um, multifaceted. Right. Yeah, and, that, and then I just want to add to that one more thing. Like even this year at COP26, again, looking at what's coming there, we've got um, for our quote unquote solutions for climate change, you've got deep sea mining that, you know, the minerals and everything that will be required for this um, huge, you know, um, new $100,000 infrastructure they want to create all over the world to regenerate, um, you know, capitalism. And you've got what's, this is crazy. It's called net zero pensions, net zero, everything's net zero, right? Which means nothing. So net zero pension summit just happened. And so they are um, coming after pen the pensions. They're going to unlock the pensions and use that to finance um, all the infrastructure that they will own, right? And so they're coming after the pensions. Um, again, all this distraction, people aren't seeing what's happening behind the scenes. That's a huge thing led by Mark Carney, right, happening now. And I've talked about that even in the Greta series. That was part of it, unlocking the $100 trillion in pensions. Yeah. Um, and, and Jacob, what's his name? Jacob Levitch, the academic, has, talks about that as well. So, again, just about, um, you know, again, insulating currents current um, power structures and and trying to save this faltering capitalist system that we should be trying to dismantle i think that makes a, a really uh, a lot of sense because it's all public spending right like vaccines and all the uh, right. uh things to change the infrastructure uh structure of the society so uh it really doesn't follow the uh ordinary uh market principle it, they just have to convince the population that this is what's happening and uh, excuse to implement those policies. I mean, you know, like the vaccines are free, right? Um, <clears throat> I want to ask Omar something, um, but but I also just wanted to very briefly comment um, on, on some of this. I, th I, you know, one of the things that is worth um, careful examination of, of, uh, you're not supposed to end sentences with participles or whatever, but anyway, um, something deserving of, of close attention is that, that this is, you know, this demolition of capitalism is 
is that it's not nobody's trying to rescue capitalism they are they are it's the controlled demolition of capital to be replaced by some kind of techno feudalism or something whatever word one wants to one wants to attach to it and it partly i can't shake this you know that that this the the fall of the soviet union opened a kind of um, hubristic hysteria in Western capital, expansionist hysteria. And then the, um, the advent of Silicon Valley and, and the, you know, the, the, these major electronic platforms and social media and on and on that came after that allowed for this accumulation of, of unprecedented wealth in a very few hands. And these unelected gajillionaires exert enormous influence, again, unprecedented influence over, over government policies and trade and, and economic policy, even the military, and now health most acutely. Gates clearly targeted health, but he's not alone, and biotech and so forth. But, but it's, it's not, it doesn't, this this. Kind kind of global coup d'etat in a sense, if we want to call it that, is has not followed at all, a, a, you know, the, the pattern of previous revolutions or coups. This transformation is, is unique and we're watching it in real time, which is, I think, what's so frightening. But Omar, you had some stuff to talk about. Well... <clears throat> One just a sidebar, and then I'll I'll, I'll get to it. One is, uh, you know, the, the sort of capitalist dismantling. Um, a lot of people have been of the view that anyway, the capitalism itself, for all of its own inner illogic uh, and pathologies, wasn't even being practiced uh, for what it's worth. We had socialism for the rich and capitalism for everybody else, because all those people got subsidies and bailouts, uh, taxpayers too big to fail, all of that. I mean, that's about as capitalist. <laughs> I mean, that's not capitalism uh, in the wildest dreams of Adam Smith, who was actually a moral philosopher. So anyway, it's nothing to do really with capitalism as we see it. But the yeah. other thing that worries me actually is more than agenda A, and I agree with everything I've heard, but I'm even more worried than about which agenda or what the game plan is than I am by the playbook mm. because that can be rolled out for anything. Right. I mean, so today it could be the new reset. It could be uh, digitalizing and dehumanizing the world. Tomorrow it could be something else because what they have perfected. And there was a line from Eichmann way back when somebody said, how did Nazism pull it off? And he said, you misunderstand. It had nothing to do with Nazism. If you make people afraid enough, you can get them to do anything. And the capacity that and Eric Fromm wrote his magisterial book about escape from freedom, about how the most advanced literate country um, fell afoul of that. Well, I mean, we've seen a whole world fall afoul of fact-free, and that's the whole thing. Data doesn't matter. Facts don't matter. When you train people that evidence doesn't matter, all that matters is isms and ologies, yeah. your tribe, your affiliation, who you can make the other, who you can hate, um, 
who you can feel morally superior to by virtual virtue signaling. I was on a podcast. I don't know if I mentioned this last time with uh, some folks in California. And the lady said to me, she said, you know, Omar, people tell us over here, if we don't wear masks, we're racists. <laughs> and I said, tell me that one again. And she said, well, you see, they say the Hopi Indians cannot protect themselves. And if I don't wear a mask, I'm killing the Hopi Indians. <laughs> and I said, do you live close to any Hopi Indians? And they, she said, no. I said, well, you know, masks don't work. So if you put a shopping bag over your head, you could do about as much for the Hopi Indians as you are by wearing that cloth mask. And then she said, but you know, um, they say if we're against lockdowns, we're racist. And I said, okay, run that one by me. Well, it was back to the Hopi Indians um, because, uh, you know, that if you weren't locked down, you'd be out there infecting them. And I said, you understand lockdown is for affluent people to have less affluent people deliver things to them. Yeah. <laughs> Those less affluent people have never been locked down. They have not been defended. They have not been protected. So the best thing you could do for the Hopi Indians is take your, if you're not at risk, take your immune system out there and be living life alongside them and be part of the wall of immunity hmm. in solidarity with them, not hiding away, uh, infantilizing your immune system. But these are the types of things, adding racism to a right. penal concept so you can virtue signal your way into stupidity. Well, yeah, I mean, Corey, I want to call on you, but but um, one thing that did occur to me recently was that that this this encouragement to stay home and and the valorizing of uh, of people staying in indoors, doing their work indoors, doing schooling um, by way of you know teleschooling, telehealth, all of this stuff. Um, in in big urban centers, that has found a kind of traction because um, because getting around the the mega cities of the world, whether it's Los Angeles or Sao Paulo or or Berlin or or wherever uh, New York, it has become increasingly difficult and costly. I mean, you can't go out and in Los Angeles and go to a concert because the cost of parking if you can even find a parking place is prohibitive everything it becomes extraordinarily difficult because those big um, metropolises are, are uh, pathologically overcrowded and and congested and toxic um, so so there has been a certain I mean, people have found the idea of you know a certain affluent bourgeoisie has found the idea of staying home enormously appealing um, and this has been this has been a trend that I mean, has been encouraged now for probably 30 years, actually. Corey, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the unvaccinated has definitely become the other, right? We see that in um, the class thing. I mean, it's very real. I was reading um, an article uh, within the past few days. I had to open a tab. It was about... Um, I almost shut it, like didn't read it. I mean, it was just pretty um, tame, really nothing. And then it struck me. It was about the service and the restaurant industry and, and servers were complaining. They'd noticed this hostility toward them as they, some have opened up. They've um, been able to open up at sort of minimum capacity. Um, 
and they've noticed the people before that were rude have become even ruder, right? And that they're being treated um, really, really terribly. And it sort of struck me, you know, that's part of the, what Omar is speaking of, the, the class thing. People have almost identified with this idea that servers and, and people, you know, mm-hmm. serving the public have become lesser than them and that they now have the capacity to treat them they're on a higher level and they can treat them um, less. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. it's sort of this internalization of the class structure and treating people Mm -hmm. that you see as beneath you um, poorly. And you see that too in like elite gatherings. You see all the elites have nothing on their face. They're all on their faces for free. And then all the security, all the servers, all the caterers, they're all masked, you know? Um, oh, so this is this this really is something caused to. I mean, I shudder when I see those photographs because that feels like a glimpse of the future um, more than anything else. The ruling class, um, free to travel. You know, nobody has stopped the movement of private jets globally. Um, they don't wear masks. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to show papers. And everybody else is part of a massive service industry to care for that very rich, tiny ruling elite. Johan. Yeah, on that topic, I had a, a couple of questions to Omar here. Uh, first of all, I, I was just wondering whether in the media at your end, you see something in relation to the vaccine mandates and so on. But regarding the, the service sector, um, since Sri Lanka is uh, I suppose basically not dependent upon tourism, but a strong service economy and, and yeah. strongly dependent on tourism, kind of highly developed. And as I also read, uh, uh, a bit debt-ridden since there were the major restructuring yeah. of the infrastructure. How how is the situation over there since the last year and a half in the economy? Well, I'll go to the, your first question first about. Uh, they haven't yet started talking about mandates, um, but they are talking about that the way out for tourism and everything else mm. is to have 60% mm. vaccinated by September. And then um, people like me keep irritating them by pointing out that Delta doesn't work against, um, I mean, the current vaccines uh, don't work against Delta. And uh, the next variant, they say they will be totally irrelevant for. So I've said in September, you'll have vaccinated 60% and have to start all over again. Booster shots don't help because it's not boosters. That's the issue. And we have no idea what a booster shot would do in further terms of adverse effects or further neurological damage. So there, and yet the immunity to early treatment again, that's another fascinating, you know, I've raised it before on earlier podcasts. Uh, I don't know if, uh, and I, I, I prom- I'll come right back to the economics, but this is worth it. I don't know how many of you know Dr. Shankara Chetty is. No. Uh, if you don't, look him up. He's a South African family physician who has come up, who, because he couldn't get ivermectin and HCQ and some of these others because of WHO uh, and other pressures, came up with a protocol that did not require any controversial drugs. He's treated over 6,000 patients. Not one has needed oxygen. Not one has been hospitalized. Not one has died. 
This is rural South Africa. He has not been infected. He has a, something he calls the eighth day protocol. And the eighth day protocol was his realization that after the viral phase, people, the 20 or 30% who really get sick and then tend to die, um, have a hyperimmune response that causes inflammation. It's an allergic response to the spike proteins. Long story short, he treats simply with antihistamines, steroids, anticoagulants. And I've seen it replicated in rural India. I've seen it replicated here in Sri Lanka. He's been all over. I mean, Peter McCullough cites him. Richard Orso cites him. Pierre Corey cites him. Uh, so I raise him to say that I've said to the authorities here, forget fighting with WHO. Why would you not want to hear about this? Yeah. I mean, the worst that'll happen is you'll give some antihistamines to somebody <laughs> who didn't need it. I mean, that's the absolute worst. So oh. there is this panic that if we did that, this whole vaccine cavalcade, this whole sick, monstrous thing would just get derailed, even worse than the vaccine failures, if that's possible. Mm. On the economic <laughs> front, Sri Lanka has been traumatically hit because the first two months they did a 24-7 curfew, unusual even by world standards. And they were a country after the Easter bombing um, and the new president having uh, lowered the tax rates to amuse wealthy patrons, uh, we're in the worst position to do that. So right now, um, they are living off currency swaps with neighbors and are desperate to get tourism, which is one of the main sources of um, foreign revenue. So there are two forces going on in Sri Lanka. Uh, and that it's certainly not the mega rich because Sri Lanka is just ignored but it is the people here who are genuine entrepreneurs wanting to protect small and middle-sized uh, enterprises, daily wage earners, and keep the economy going, and the medical mafia that has been bought off by the same players who want society shut down would be fine if we just became a vassal state of China or somebody else uh, over here. Um, and so it's a fight. But I think it's because we're more irrelevant <laughs> over here at the moment. I mean, if I'd been back in my old home of Singapore uh, or somewhere else, um, but at least even Singapore has moved to the point of saying they will stop mass testing hmm. and will consider only look for symptoms and treat this as endemic. Of course, they say it's because of vaccination. Right. Unfortunately, they're going to find the hard way, the next variant precipitated by this mass vaccination and they're going to be right back where they started from. And maybe one day early treatment won't be a dirty word, but do look up Dr. Chetty. His story is really inspiring and is worth sharing. Um, I, 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 this raises a, a, a ton of questions and um, I mean, it becomes really interesting because um Listening to the, the situation in Sri Lanka, I look at Norway now, which uh, has pretty much rejected the vaccine mandate. Um, of course, they have a, now a relatively, a relatively high um, vaccine rate, but 
but nobody by and large is wearing masks and um, the, the hysteria has subsided. Um, there's still an, an enormous amount of travel restrictions. Now, you know, you can, you can go country to country and see all these, these different um, rules and, um, you know, the, the uh, qualifications for, for entry and the quarantine requirements and whatever. And reading about the tourist industry has just, you know, has just collapsed because nobody knows what the rules are. The big problem is people say, yeah, I want to book it, you know, something to, to Cyprus, but what is, you know, am I allowed into Cyprus? And nobody has the answers and the answers change from day to day. So the airlines are going belly up because nobody can buy tickets um, ahead of time uh, because nobody knows what is going to be allowed um, at any particular moment um, in, in terms of, of entry. So there's that. And uh, the collapse of these industries, I mean, you know, travel has, has, has just shriveled to nearly nothing unless, again, you have a private jet. Um, but, but back to the very first statistics that Corey cited. I mean, see, this is my problem. This is my problem. Um, you know, Australia has 35 million people and um, under a thousand have, in quotation marks, died from COVID and, you know, close quote. Um, that's, that's minuscule. That's a minuscule number. And uh, the, the vast majority were, were elderly. Um, this is mirrored or mimicked um, across the planet that, that you have surprisingly low mortality numbers. Now, you know, um, and then you get conflicting reports about, oh, the Delta variant is coming and um, it's highly infectious, highly infectious, but, you know, it has even lower mortality rates, but people do get very sick and, uh, you know, you have to be really careful and we want to keep infections rates down et cetera, et cetera. And you hear this rhetoric and it's much of it is gibberish. Much of it is just, you know, contradictory from sentence to sentence. It's impossible to get a, a, the, the overall picture into focus of, of the medical reality of COVID. And I don't claim to have any grasp of it at all. At one end are people that say it doesn't exist at all. Others who say it's just like the flu. Some people say, no, I say, you know, the, 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 the Klaus Schwab and, and all these people are, you know, greatly alarmed about it or the World Health Organization, um, you know, who changes their story, it seems, weekly um, or Fauci or any of these mouthpieces for um, big pharma seem to you know encourage people want to frighten them that no this can have long-term consequences the, the i've heard this term long covid you're, you're going to get a case of long covid um which means who knows what uh it it is at times laughable the 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 lack of medical coherence um the the statements are so convoluted so um um and and also the, the whole model that has been trotted out is impossible to verify at a certain point because everybody has counted differences. The CDC removed thousands of deaths from their webpage, um, you know, without anybody noticing at first. Um, so the numbers don't make sense. It, it, um, it very clearly is. Um, uh, 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 I'm sorry, did somebody just say something? Yeah, it was Omar. 
Oh, hi. Um, let me. Yeah, I'll get. I've got three hands raised. I'm only going to say that to finish that 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 um, I don't. What what seems much clearer to me than than the medical issues, which I don't claim to have any any grasp of at all, frankly. What is clearer to me is that there is a class warf going on, and and that there is a transformation of, you know, the the notions of of Western capital and and the class hierarchy, and it is it is moving towards. There are certainly clear forces that are very influential and powerful that are moving towards um, a a very polarized economic. A future in which there are very privileged elite, um, you know, one half of one percent, and a vast underclass that is, um, you know, tracked biometrically and and kept at a social distance <clears throat> from each other and denied all kinds of previous privileges. That's one scenario. Um, people will call that a conspiracy theory, but it seems to be. Um, there seems to be enormous evidence for it. Okay, um, Hiroyuki, you had your hand up first, and then Omar and Corey. Okay. Well, I, I, um, I mean, if you look at it, you know, you step back and look at it, it's, it's, it's a protection racket, right? I mean, it's, you know, you have a fear of uh, others. Uh, uh, people might do something to you, and um, uh, there's a rumor that uh, it's actually the mafia uh, that's uh, uh, torching your houses. Um, um, you know, this is this is the picture we have, isn't it? We, we you know, it's uh, it's a protection racket, and uh, the doubt and the contradictions. That's that's part of the uh, spice. Uh, without that, people wouldn't pay to uh, criminals, right? Um, people think that we're going to be in big trouble if we don't follow, right? That's the economic um, uh, violence uh, we're being subjected to. And the class system is a huge uh, part of it. And um, and like Omar was saying that the uh, uh, the the Hopi Indians uh, are the the focal point. It's just just like um, people talked about the, the saving children of Syria. Right, you know? right. It's 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 oh my God! It's the same thing, and uh, people swallow that. You know, it's uh, ah. Okay, let me go to Omar and then Corey and then Johan. Everybody has comments. It's great. Yeah. And I am going to have to, after this comment, love you and leave you because the next client is ratcheted up. So you are my wonderful parentheses in between. And I think <laughs> you're uh, tolerating my infusion. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, so I just want to say one thing on your thing about the medical. Uh, my life has been spent because we've walked, tried to, we walked these people back a little bit from no early treatment now to asymptomatic people being uh, treated outside of hospitals. And I've had to put on webinars. So to listen to doctors. Um, so while I know no more than you do on the medical front, John, um, I've had to sit at the feet of, uh, happily at the feet of giants who actually are clinicians. And I would just make a couple of points which I don't think are medically controversial. 
I don't mean they're accepted. I just mean they're not factually controversial. Uh, the first is, by the way, even the U.S. has said that the first PCR test, they've done a recall for it. Right. So the right. test, so the EUA has been pulled. They have till December. And get this, they say, we recommend a new method of testing, which is multiplexed and can distinguish influenza yeah. from COVID. It's like, holy shit, thanks for telling us two years yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. We all wondered where that had gone. Now we know. Uh, yeah. It was just baked into the stats. Um, but the PCR test doesn't work. Everybody knows that. The, but the medical things that are not controversial is what you said. Age stratified, IFR globally of about 0.15%. Kids are not at risk, not one child without comorbidities, even as per the CDC has died in the US. Those who are vulnerable, we know can be treated with early treatments that have reduced hospitalizations and deaths in that demographic by 85 to 90%. So the, the thing, and even today, the Wall Street Journal of all things, has called out the FDA for attacking ivermectin unfairly when billions of doses have been fairly administered. That was the Wall Street Journal in response to an LA Times hit piece. Um, so I guess all I wanted to, to just say is that while I agree, it seems that there's no medical consensus and there isn't because of all the folks who have been acquired to tell the narrative when you default back to what data tells us, there is no excess mortality in 2021 anywhere. That's right, just right. That's just the fact. I mean, it, it's not something that can be parsed. Um, and I just think that one of the things we have to do, and, I, and this is my biggest bugaboo, people come up to me and say, but you know, people are dying. You know, as you said, the right. anecdotal. Uh, and I point out the fact that why is this one source of death tower above every other source of harm on the planet from earthquakes to deferred cancer screenings to deferred vaccinations for polio to suicides to homicide right. to destroyed education? When did we have the debate that a viral strain became the towering epistemology of the universe exactly. and everything? Yep. Had to sort of defer to that. With that, I'm I'm going to tune in, obviously, to hear the wisdom I've missed, and I'm really sorry to. Uh, oh, thank no, thank uh, you, Omar. I'm enormously pleased that you can make it at all. So thanks. Delighted. Here, all right. Um, uh, Corey, you you were next. <laughs> that that was fantastic commentary by Omar. Like amazing. So I just wanted to actually speak just a few things to the influenza. When I was on the government website getting all this information this week, I noticed they somewhere within it it had actually stated the top ten um, causes of death in Canada, and influenza and pneumonia were amongst the top ten. So I mean, there you go. When you go in and you die. Um, if you if you go in the hospital, if someone goes in and dies of a heart attack, they don't write down that you died from the flu, right? right, right. You died from heart attack. Right. And so um, for a pandemic, which elites, including Klaus Schwab, has described as very, very mild, the most mild pandemic actually in history, 
I mean, you don't have to inflate the numbers like that. Every, not just in Canada and the last, what was it? The last year, the flu vanished, no flu cases at all. And so it's just sort of um, picking up where, where um, Omar was speaking of about the flu, how it vanished. Prior to that, that was one of the top 10 causes of death in Canada. And yeah, we would never, um, if someone got hit by a car with the, with the flu, we would never put it down as they died from the flu. You know what I mean? So it, it is really insane. It's actually crazy. Yeah. Uh, Johan. Yeah. I just wanted to let you know that I, I just received this uh, a few minutes ago, a push notice from uh, Haaretz, the major Israeli newspaper that they asked the first country in the world will start rolling out these uh, third vaccines, the booster shot for, for people over 60. Uh-huh. And in context, you can also mention that um, Pfizer's revenue for the COVID vaccine, I think, was projected for at uh, $33 billion, which is like a third of, of uh, the Swedish government's uh, yearly expense. So wow. I mean, right, right. Mm. Well, <clears throat> I think I... I just want to say a couple of things because um, it was a, it was a nice summation by Omar, and we've we've had everybody has has made um, really important points and and thrown out a lot of information. But a couple of things I want to reinforce. It seems to me um, one is to remember that the media is working very hard to present a certain picture of reality vis-a-vis COVID, um, the pandemic. They are working very hard to convince people that there is a a unanimity of of belief in uh, the seriousness of the pandemic. And the media anyway, in the best of times, tends to make visible a white affluent 30%. I mean, uh, the the white educated 30% of the bourgeoisie is what you see on media. It is what you hear on media. You don't hear working class voices. You don't hear um, the underclass opinion. Nobody is going and talking to um, ranchers in Wyoming about what they think of COVID. Um, they're not talking to people in Texas or Florida. These are the deplorables. These are the flyover states, if we're talking about the United States. Um, you know, Norway, where I live, is an extraordinarily small country. It, the whole population of this very, you know, relatively large and long nation is 5 million people. And that's it. Total. That's the that's a suburb of Los Angeles, a, a medium-sized suburb of Los Angeles. So things get distorted when, to some degree, when you come to Europe and, and you know, Norway is a very heavily indoctrinated population. Scandinavia in general is, is overwhelmingly white and, and overwhelmingly um, obedient and they're rule followers by and large. Um, and they are all becoming increasingly martial and militant. They've been hugely influenced by the United States. And this is where you can't really separate a U.S. imperialism from the story of COVID and the pandemic or Schwab or the Great Reset. These things are happening at the same time. Imperialism hasn't gone away. The U.S. pretends it's withdrawing from Afghanistan, but it's leaving increasing numbers of mercenaries there. The wars are being privatized. 
Eric Prince had said he wanted to be viceroy of Afghanistan. That may literally happen at a certain point. So, so you know, this, this, the, the influence of U.S. imperialism is profound and is acute. And this is something that has grown since the fall of the USSR. You know, this, this change can be tracked back to that, um, that event. And certainly it has had um, uh, a ripple effect in the third world, the developing world as well. Anyway, the, the, the point I'm making is that the media distorts the whole story. The media has controlled the narrative of the pandemic from the first reports at Wuhan. What I always point out is the guys in hazmat suits on the street in China was exotic and terrifying and looked like a Soderbergh movie. And everybody was instantly alarmed that that picture bears no relationship to any subsequent reality. But but it was effective as propaganda. Um, and so since then, you know, the the story has been pushed um, by the media that that we see the narrative of the pandemic reflected in places like Los Angeles and New York and the rich suburbs of Boston or wherever. We don't see the places that are profoundly skeptical and and reject the vaccine, don't want the vaccine, don't want interference, want their lives back, want their jobs back, want their dignity back. They don't want the fourth industrial revolution. They don't want any of it. But but um, U.S. imperialism is working very closely with, you know, with Klaus Schwab's and the Davos minions and all of these people. They all have the same agenda to some degree, but it's not entirely uniform. It's not seamless. And that's where I think some of the confusion um, that, that we all feel when when trying to to keep the, the whole story in focus um, is that we don't hear the voices of dissent. They are they are kept silent. American media didn't cover the protests in France at all, at all. It was invisible. So um, it's it's hard to track global opinion and how many people really are rejecting this and how many are not. And um, and I don't have an answer, but um, I think I think it's an extraordinarily important factor. That, that the media is owned by the very few people who are pushing this agenda um, from the start anyway. And uh, none of that is, is accidental or, or happenstance. Anyway, okay. Any last thoughts from people? Well, I mean, uh, um, the, 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 the fall of Soviet Union and uh, uh, demonization of uh, whatever that... Uh, are associated is, is, is totally part of the uh, momentum because, um, you know, it's, it's the capitalism, the capitalism doing all those things from different directions. All the tentacles uh, are everywhere. And we're seeing those things. And uh, if you say, if you point out the whole thing, that's not acceptable because you're talking about capitalism, you're talking about socialism, you're talking about communism. So I think that's the, uh, the, that's the thing the media is doing. And it, it totally goes along with the, uh, what you're saying about the fall of Soviet Union. Right, right. Um, that was one other point I wanted to make 
actually is um, because we've all been seeing the extra in social media on social media, the extraordinary outpouring of 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 anger, hatred, sadistic tweets of somebody who said the unvaccinated. I want to decapitate these people. Um, and you think, well, um, this this is the 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 lockdowns the the psychological stress of the last year and a half two years um has begun to take a toll on people i mean we're seeing these spikes in mental illness clinical depression um you know breakdowns hysteria um and it's affecting physical health people are developing all kinds of conditions associated with stress and lack of exercise and and lack of sunshine and all the rest um but, but what was already in place is, you know, I, I always return, not always, I often return to Rene Girard and, and his notion of scapegoating and, and, and the sacrificial victim and what knits society together, because it's very pertinent in terms of propaganda. And, and that's what you see with this incredible intensification of, of, of the othering mechanism, if you will, that, that. Um, you see this this almost desperate need for sacrificial victims and 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 Ooh. and sacrifice and um, it it's playing out in about four different registers and and it's 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 probably in a sense hard to track but I think I think it's not it's not for no reason that we are suddenly seeing this aggression. And I just know personally, I see people that I feel like, my God, this person's just unhinged now. They have really, they have really lost the plot and they're suffering depression or, you know, some form of dementia and God knows what. Yeah. Corey. Well, I think maybe next time we could um, discuss, you know, the Milgram um, experiment, uh, just that blind obedience to authority, because it's actually shocking, you know, that every single healthcare worker, nurse, doctor, everyone should be against um, vaccinating children there. It's um, you know, we already see that now. And, right. and now they're going after the younger ones. So to me, that's just shocking that um, that we don't have every single person speaking out against that. I mean, what happened to all the people that cried the crocodile tears over Greta? I mean, you know, poor Greta, how come all of a sudden in this instance, no one cares about the health of the children, right? right. Like when, so, so again, like, you know, the, the way that um, they're able to frame everything the the language the framing of everything it's it's so important yeah yeah absolutely no we should talk about it some and um you know that's that's and there's so many there's so many kind of branches to to the connected to to the lockdowns and the, and and the, the green new deal and um and that that the climate um, hysteria, discourse, not to say there isn't a legitimate issue involved, but um, that's, that's now taken out of the, the, um, the, the, the sort of the ruling class toolbox. And we're seeing climate um, again as being uh, the drumbeat of, of, uh, of fear is looming all you know the oceans are rising whatever it is um and and uh 
it will serve many people are predicting this it will serve as justification for partial or complete lockdowns in the future will be climate related once once <clears throat> you know uh, Western capitalist-driven science has conquered COVID. Uh, you know, climate will be next. Yeah, Johan, final thoughts. Sure. Uh, so I, I saw through this um, Pasolini movie, Saint, the Gospel of Saint Matthew, uh, that you mentioned, and uh, I also I discovered that this Italian philosopher Rioggio Agamben played a small uh, role in it. And, yeah. Uh, and I discovered that he had written a book. Uh, I think it's called The Pandemic as Politics. Uh, where, where he essentially takes up these positions that we, we mostly agree with, uh, for which he has been universally derided and almost scapegoated. And in, in the end of it, I'm just a, a very small quote here. He, he says that if the powers that govern the world believed that they had to resort to measures and apparatuses at, as extreme as biosecurity and the health terror, which they have established everywhere and without any scruples, uh, this is because, as all the evidence suggests, they feared that they had no other choice if they wanted to survive. And I, I think he is essentially correct here that, that even the, the response from the authorities and the powers in place, that it's also driven by fear of a kind. Right. I think that, that a discussion next time um, uh, on uh, sort of with that as a starting place would, would be welcome um, and the nature of fear and what exactly people are in fact afraid of. Um, okay. Thank you, everyone. Uh, uh, Hiroyuki, thank you. Corey, thank you. Johan, thank you. Omar in absentia, thank you. Um, and hopefully uh, this will be up soon. Thanks as always to Jack Littman, um, for, for helping edit these things and um, or just put them up and get them up on SoundCloud. So um, we'll do this uh, again soon, I hope. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, John. Take care.